We're nearing the end of the Ley Lines Kickstarter for Volume 3, and we need your help to reach the goal. We also have a lot of really exciting contributors that will add in their unique voice if we reach some of the stretch goals. Check out the videos that features that we have and learn about some new amazing and incredible creators. Thanks so much. Hello and welcome. I'm Robin Childs. I'm Corey Childs. And I'm Matt Parker. Together we form the MoCo Expedition, three good friends exploring the mysteries of storytelling craft. Sometimes on your journey as a writer, you encounter questions that sit in the back of your mind and seem to have no clear answer. In the MoCo Expedition chat episodes, we'll be unraveling some of the different storytelling conundrums that we've encountered. Long unanswered questions will be unearthed, observations revealed, and theories discovered or debunked, as the case may be. On today's episode, the much-reviled, or perhaps just misunderstood, Mary Sue. So grab your writing notebook, put on your best adventurer's cap, and welcome to the MoCo Expedition. Matt, start us off with our TV Tropes definition. All right. According to TVTropes.com, where you should not go if you have anything to do for the next couple of hours. Quote, Mary Sue is a derogatory term primarily used in fan fiction circles to describe a particular type of character. This much everyone can agree on. What that character type is exactly differs wildly from circle to circle and often from person to person. And then a little bit later, it says generally, in other words, the term Mary Sue is generally slapped on a character who is important to the story, possesses unusual physical traits, and has an irrelevantly overskilled or over-idealized nature. The Mary Sue male equivalent most frequently seen is either a Marty Stew or a Gary Stew, although it can also just be referred to as a Mary Sue. And the term comes first from the 1974 Star Trek fan fiction, A Trekkie's Tale. Dang. That part I did not know. Yeah, so know it, is, it is older than we think it is. Usually they are. All right, cool. So um, I, that's actually a really broad definition. I'm actually kind of surprised. Well, nice. TV Trope specifically says that they're not – TV Tropes doesn't get to set what the term means. The best we can do is capture the way it's used. And they talk a lot about uh, there are a lot of controversies over what is a Mary Sue and what what roles they take on and um, kind of what how they exist, if they exist. And they're very rare to actually say full on this is 100% Mary Sue. And that's part of why I actually um, dislike having the term bandied about as much as it is, because I don't find that it is an accurate term for anything. Um, and I disagree with labeling things as Mary Sue's or not as a justification for, oh, this is a, it's used as a catch-all term for, I don't like this character, or this character is badly written. And half the time it's just, I don't like this character. Huh. Well, the, I think it's think- a... Go, go on, so what what do we what do we want to say that to us we think of when we think of the term Mary Sue? If we see a character in a work and we say, "Aha, that's a Mary Sue," what do we mean? 
Well, it did mention that everybody's uh, the, the definition can vary from person to person right. greatly. So it might be worth uh, each of us talking about what we associate with the term. Right. That's what I mean. What to each of the three of us, what does oh. that term mean? Apparently our hive mind has worn off because I missed it. it. Yep. Dang it. It'll, so it'll come back. It'll oh, come good. Back. Oh, good. Um, well, like for me, I think it's it's mostly just a, a primarily a derogatory term whenever someone does not like a character. I do think that Mary Sue's, um, when they are most frequently applied, is it's a shorthand for this lacks character development in a meaningful way. Um, but beyond that, I haven't seen a ton of consistency in the way that the term is used. But what do you, if you were going to describe a character as a Mary Sue, what does that mean to you? What is your personal definition? I guess I've seen so many different varieties of them, though. And I've written characters that um, there was a Mary Sue test that I once ran a couple of my characters through. And what I found was odd was the character that I thought was the most at the time Mary Sue-ish came out the least. And it was just a series of um, descriptors for random types of character backgrounds. Um, a lot of them are physical, like mismatched colored eyes or... I do think heterochromia, as it is known, is very common in a very common way of saying, look, this character is special. Yeah, I guess they're, they would be characters that I would define as blatant power fantasies that's how i would describe a mary sue for the most part i think it, for me the broadest definition that is that captures the most um because any character where whether it's power fantasy in terms of that everyone likes them or it's power fantasy in the terms that they're a ninja jedi with a katana and laser eye beams it, like regardless of what it is um it's a character that is inexplicably powerful with no real um, detriments unless the detriment brings them extra cred, so to speak. Uh, that was actually the uh, really close to the definition I was going to use, specifically the power fantasy. Um, as I've seen it used, it's usually a character who is a writer proxy. So if the writer wants a character who's the badass who who is the awesomest at everything uh this is the kind of character who who might uh appear another thing that is commonly used is the term chosen one if for some reason this character is labeled uh as special to the plot by destiny by some sort of outside force that really doesn't uh uh have any bearing on the plot other than to single this character out as special that usually is a warning sign for me um, but yeah, that's, that's the biggest one for me. Is the character a power fantasy? Are they there primarily as a wish fulfillment vehicle for the writer? And I, I think wish fulfillment is a big part of it, but for me, I kind of see it as a balancing test. I look at, to me, a Mary Sue is someone who hogs a disproportionate amount of the spotlight, who is gifted or talented or skilled in ways that go beyond all of the other characters and who largely does not ever have to face consequences at the same rate or the same scale as other characters 
but not for an in-universe reason. And finally, characters that I seem to get this sense that the author just likes more. And so I look at those those kind of factors on the whole and and decide if I think a character is Mary Sue-ish. Because one of the things we're going to talk about a lot is you can have these elements and not be a Mary Sue. I mean, obviously, the protagonist is going to have a lot of screen time. Yeah. And so that by itself is not it. And a protagonist is obviously going to... Um, is going to be the focus of it. And most authors kind of like their protagonists or it wouldn't be their protagonist. But I think that there is definitely when, when you're seeing these things and they are all present and there's, and they're really strongly present. That's when you're looking at serious Mary Sue territory. I think what you said about the, it being consequence free that, really, I, really yeah, important. I was going to highlight on that too. Yeah, that 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 is for me kind of the big one. It's not just that they have, um, that they're inexplicably skilled. Though that is a big warning flag for me. It's also that when they do things like kill people or uh, commit blatant crimes or whatever, they get away with it not through any merit or uh, uh, ability of their own, but just because they are well liked enough, or the writer doesn't even bring up consequences as a. Uh, as a thing that happens for this character. Well, the reverse can also be true, though, as well, where a character, like, has consequences rain down upon them for, for no action. So they're not even consequences, they're just really horrible things constantly happen to them for no reason. And that's the variation that that one's commonly termed with is the angsty Sue. Yes, because where, look, at this, uh, look at this poor innocent soul that the universe just craps on all the time. Oh, let us feel bad for them. Mm -hmm. So, I think that, again, that's that's a consequences are a little out of whack. Yeah, I, I I like that. The consequences are out of proportion to the setting and the other characters. Um, and I think that that yeah. So on the whole, that's what makes a Mary Sue is something that just. They're not like the other characters. There is something above and beyond, and not just in an in-universe way, but in a metatextual way that, that causes you to look at them and go, wait, there's something not right here. But that's kind of what connects to my objections about the whole throwing around this term. Because like one of my favorite characters that I absolutely adore in fiction... Harry Dresden of the Jim Butcher series would easily qualify for that description. See, and I don't think he would. I think that he's an orphan. Horrible things have happened to him. Every time something blows up, it blows up ginormously. And even though he does work really hard and really feels like he earns kind of the victory, he always wins out in the end. Which is, well, you know, typical for pretty much all books unless they're tragedies. Right. right. Again, think, why I don't like the Mary Sue term. Well, and there's what makes Dresden not a Mary Sue to me is that, yes, he has several things that independently look very Mary Sue-ish. He was orphaned at a young age. He's got a tragic backstory. Um, 
he's obviously got something special about him. But to me, his consequences have always been pretty much dialed in at 100% of what you would expect. When he takes an action, people react to him in a way that is consistent for how they would see his character. There's a line in one of the later books where people are treating him like he's a Billy Badass, and he's thinking to himself, they could crush me without flexing. But then he realizes that from their perspective, he looks like he is a Billy Badass. But we know that he's always getting by by the skin of his teeth because we're in his head. Mm-hmm. But that all of those reactions, that people treating him with love for his heroism and distrust for his choices and anger over the mistakes he's made are all dialed in to me at the exact right levels for the mistakes he's made. He's not trusted for the white by his fellow wizards because he has used magic in a dark way. And he, and he admits that he's not, he, he's revered by people for his heroism, even though they acknowledge that he's also kind of a moron. It, what, what really does it for me is that he's not hero worshipped by everyone and he's not picked on by everyone. He makes good choices and gets rewarded for it. He makes dumb choices and gets punished for it. So for you, there's also a universality element to a Mary Sue. Right. It it's, has to it's, be. It either everybody loves them or everybody hates them. Or it's out of proportion for what we would see as being a realistic response. It's not because even Mary Sue's will have that one person. But mm-hmm. if you look at a character and on the whole, way more people love them than should love them for what they do, or way more people hate them then should hate them for what they do, then you're starting to get into that territory. It's, it's the out of proportion that makes me take a look at it. In my head, I'm kind of thinking about uh, what kind of reader, what kind of, like, obviously there's appeal, there's draw for the writer. It's an easy trap to fall into to kind of create this proxy character who's awesome at everything and allows you to feel a little bit better about, you know, I guess your life and how you feel like things are going for you if you've got this outlet. But the character persists, and sometimes it works out. I'm curious what kind of viewer, what kind of consumer uh, this this sort of character appeals to. My initial thought is, is... uh, when we were watching Extra Credits a while back, they had something called Aesthetics of Play, which is seven different things uh, that people are drawn to in media. And I think the one most applicable here is fantasy, where you can put yourself into that character. Being able to put yourself into that character almost sometimes necessitates that that character be flat, so that uh, it's easier for a larger audience to... uh, anybody from any walk of life to be able to insert themselves into the narrative. I'm thinking like uh, Neo from The Matrix is mostly just a cipher. He's basically a metaphor. In that regard, it's very, very easy for whoever's watching the film to be like, well, that could be me. And I think in that regard, a Mary Sue character can actually be useful if you really, really want to hit fantasy as an aesthetic that people want to come to your media for. What do you guys think? I can see that element of it. 
um, the fantasy element of it. I would also say that there's sort of an emotional intensity about it. I think that Mary Sue's, uh, especially to the writer, but I think occasionally to the reader as well, can have a cathartic element to them. Because if, if someone is relating to um, an angsty Sue, maybe, you know, being, being, sometimes you have a really hard day. Sometimes you have a really hard life. Sometimes things feel out of proportion. So to have a character that's going through an out-of-proportion experience might be very cathartic or uh, helpful to a person. Well, and I think that there's a very superficial but very – I did it, the power fantasy. It's – yeah, it's – you want to read about a character that doesn't have those struggles or easily conquers the struggles that you go through. And I think that's why – we tend to see a fair number of them in fan fiction written by young adults and in young adult fiction. Because especially when you're in middle school and high school, you it it's very easy to want to look at this to see this kind of character and go and and be refreshed and reassured. And get to live vicariously through them for a little bit. Um, I mean, what else? What else are superheroes if not this? Right, but and, and and anything can be any genre can have a Mary Sue. It's the difference between a character that you get to live vicariously through with the understanding that it is overcoming the true difficulties that gives us that emotional release and a character that you get to live through, but that release is very superficial because there is no true adversity. Why do you know, if you go back and you watch the first die hard, it's really, you know, there is this, I think real vicarious emotional release when he wins at the end, because he has gone through this very difficult situation and survived by the skin of his teeth. By Die Hard 4, we no longer have that because the situations have had to get bigger to the point of absurdity. And we no longer have any belief that John McClane won't make it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think the first film does a really, really good job of balancing that kind of humanizing element. He is... I, I feel like a, a, a real... Mary Sue will never be vulnerable. Even if they are reviled by other people and you're supposed to feel pity for them, they're still not vulnerable in any meaningful way. And I feel like uh, John McClane is vulnerable so often in the first film, and not at all in later entries. Yeah, I could see the vulnerability element. The, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a true vulnerability element. Well, I mean, what's at stake for him in the first film? His family... I mean, if, if he dies and his wife dies, his kids have no parents. If his wife dies, his world's over. If he dies, you know, he knows how tragic that would be. There are personal stakes, and he already knows his relationship is on the rocks. In the fifth film, what's at stake? Well, it's not his family. It's, well, I guess his son is involved, but what's at stake is Russia. Like, right. Like, the, I, I know they're trying to escalate the stakes, but I feel like they're actually much smaller. And much, at least, at the very least, much more petty. Well, they're not personal anymore. Not, I wouldn't say they're petty because you know you're talking nations of people, but petty to him. They, petty you're to right. Him. It's not personal. It, it doesn't. 
It doesn't concern him. It's not even his country. Right. It's become in in order to be in order to up the stakes, we've lost any emotional investment in them because the character is never going to be threatened. So what kind of characters do we think kind of uh, exemplify this? I guess from my perspective, growing up as a child of the late 80s and early 90s, there are characters that uh, may or may not have fallen into this trope that influenced my early writing, and therefore I would have a character that was similar and could have been Mary Sue-ish. Did you, either of you have that similar experience? Well, I came at it from writing. I, I didn't put it out on the internet I had several stabs at, well, because the internet didn't exist. God, we're getting old. Um, You're getting from learn. <laughs> um, several stabs at writing fan fiction when I was in middle school. And looking back at them, I can't point to anyone in particular, but I definitely had Mary Sue's that, that fit the textbook definition uh, in that they were original characters in established canons that took on major importance supplanted established characters by being better and cooler and had you know overblown tragic backstories i think yeah. uh i don't remember any specific like mary sue primer kind of like the or the originating uh character that created a mary sue kind of thing but i did watch a lot of anime and i think anime has a lot of these character types and I, I know that a lot of the characters that I wrote were exceptionally angsty. Shades of Grey characters are super angsty. Um, because in large part, that was what I thought writing was supposed to look like. Um, the Spider-Man Man comics that I was reading at the time have elements of these uh, kind of tropes. The, the animes that I was, was watching, you know, anytime a character has this exceptionally tragic backstory and and somehow overcomes all this adversity and all these horrible things are happening to them. I mean, that's called fiction, <laughs> you know? Well, but I, th there is, again, I, I think there's levels to it. I think that there's an acceptable level of specialness and prowess and interest that we will accept from a main character, but there's a level past which we go, okay, this is no longer... It, it breaks verisimilitude, which is one of my favorite words. And by God, you're going to take an opportunity to use it. I'm going to shoehorn that in anywhere <laughs> I can. Verisimilitude for our listeners is the appearance of being real. It's that sense when you're that sense of internal consistency when you are watching a or reading or uh, consuming in any way a piece of fiction that causes you to go, yeah, this seems consistent. Even if it's in a world with dragons and, and monsters, this seems like it fits within the established rules. Verisimilitude is broken when, for example, you're in a rom-com and all of a sudden people are flying with no explanation. I think for me the original uh, primer was probably Terminator. Dun, 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 um, just dun, dun. right. I mean, you've got this unstoppable machine of a character, and and uh, he can't be hurt. But watching through those films again, there's obviously a lot more going on under the hood, particularly in the second film. And I feel like, uh, but that sort of thing, particularly in an action genre, is is the sort of thing people don't remember coming out of the theater. And as a result, it's easy to kind of think back on these characters and be like, oh, well, what's his character? Well, his character is he can get shot a hundred times and it doesn't have an, Im an impact on him. 
So I think part of it is just kind of how human memory works. What what we remember, what the filmmaker wants us to remember, because that's what's going to help for word of mouth, things like that. Um, so I, I just kind of feel like, particularly in that era where we grew up, there was a lot of filmmaking that was very slick about uh, kind of having these characters who were seemingly Mary Sue's but were not. But if you tried to describe them without watching the film recently totally sound like a Mary Sue. Well, and I think that our definition of Mary Sue has broadened. I mentioned this uh, the other day, but I've read some pretty convincing articles that talk about how a Mary Sue in general is something that people respond to negatively to those traits when they are in female characters, but not when they are in male characters. And a lot of the 80s films, I mean, I know the Terminator had a, a main character that was female, but you're specifically talking about the Terminator. Yeah. There are, there are a lot of male characters that sort of skate a lot of these definitions that if you took the same traits and you stuck them on a female character, we might react to them differently. Because with ma- men having a power fantasy, well, of course... Men are virile, and that's what they do, and they, you know, have to have that macho man thing. But if a woman has a power fantasy, either it's unrealistic because a woman couldn't possibly be that, or she's, you know, torn apart because she's too butch, or... But if you have a female power fantasy that's more in the relational environment, where everyone likes them, or enjoys their presence, or no one likes them, and it's universally reviled, then it's, oh, well, they're so shallow. But... Is it, I just, are Mary Sue's defined so much by what they actually are or how societally we are trained to respond to them? I think gender definitely does come up to it a lot. I think there's a reason why Mary Sue, the term itself, is is primarily female. Because I do think there is a tendency to react to those same traits that if a man displayed them would be positive leading role qualities that when a woman displays them like you said are viewed very negatively i think this is in non-hollywood circles i think this is changing which is good Mm -hmm. but i definitely agree that historically and in a lot of corners i think you are far more likely to see a mary sue than you are to see something described as a gary stew which makes it doubly interesting that my best example that i can think of for Mary Sue's when we were kids is a is a male character. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean most of the ones that I can think of are male characters as yeah. well, but you don't see the term bandied about on those cast members as much because you know, that's different. But when we actually take the gender out of it, there's a lot of characters that it, you kind of look at it and you go, there's not much there really. Well, then let me stake out what I think is the ur example of a Mary Sue from our childhood. Wesley Crusher. <laughs> You know you're not wrong. I know for a fact that uh, uh, um, Gene Gene Roddenberry created him as a version, a younger, idealized version of himself. So, exactly, yeah. which is a which is a a big warning flag. But if Absolutely. you look at, if you look at Wesley Crusher, he is someone who is in the, in the universe of the show, exceptionally gifted at a young age. Tragic backstory with his father constantly coming in to solve the problems of a crew of adult scientists and soldiers. Well, and they're giving him uh, huge, huge uh, carte blanche permissions and uh, accolades well before his age. 
That right. does, and he was universally as a, well, not universally, but fairly reviled by and large for some of the same reasons that people are yeah. in general opposed to Mary Sue. So that does undermine my, uh, well, my feminist I think, rant a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I think that there, there are always going to be exceptions. I do think, especially on the internet when we have Mary Sue thrown around left and right, I think we do tend to see it more for female characters and that male characters with the same qualities don't get called it as much. That's, but it is it is important to to say right from the beginning that we hold no bones and there are no sacred cows. Men can be oh, uh, yeah. Mary Sue's. I, I guess it's kind of odd that you guys are bringing it up like this because when you say, man, when I think about it, it's it's always a guy. And for me, it's not even thinking about it. I never thought of Mary Sue as a female term just because I really couldn't compare numbers on it. It's almost always a guy. Huh. So Mary Sue is a male term in my head. Interesting. That's always really has interesting. been. I think that's very different than most of the internet. Yes. Yeah, I guess so. But I just, like, I'm sure they exist, but man, what what is a, a female character like this? Uh... Like I think closest... part of it is you have not been exposed to much fiction that has them. The, the closest I can think of is like maybe Jinx from League of Legends, where it's kind of that. But again, that's like again, that's a male power fantasy. Okay. It's a, a scantily clad well, woman who is shooting thing, huge, enormous guns in a we're, provocative way. We're talking way. about published, what, what I'm going to call legitimate, I guess. A thousand Fan- hate mails just got written. Uh, <laughs> publicly consumed. Right, we're not talking about fan fiction. Fan, right? Yeah, whereas it is a term that primarily comes from. Fan I'm not talking fiction. about fan fiction. I'm talking no, about I, the I actual. I know that's the point the I'm game. trying to make is yeah. that you're not talking about fan fiction, and right. where this term comes from is a pejorative term usually applied to fan fiction, which I think in general, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but my general impression is most fan fiction is written by women, so maybe oh. that's why you're not seeing it as much because well, i never applied it to fan fiction you never for, applied for it me, to it's fan not fiction. a fan fiction thing it's just any character who is clearly a writer proxy and a power fantasy yeah. is where it, because most of the i don't read a lot of fan fiction but these characters still show up and i still see them which yeah. says to me that even if it's more quote-unquote un, or uh, uncommon in popular fiction it's it's clearly not you know uh only a fan fiction problem no it's no. not but so, I think that there there are there are forces in nature that tend to or in in Hollywood that tend to get rid of these characters when they pop up too much in major movies and TV shows because the characters rate badly and they get punted out. Whereas in fan fiction in the unbridled wild west of the internet, uh, you can keep pumping them out for years. But for an example of a female Mary Sue and a, fe- a, fe- a woman character that is frequently acknowledged as being a Mary Sue, I give you Bella Swan. I guess so. Um, an object of desire by every male person in her life, I guess. Who believes that she is ugly mm. and that no one loves her but is universally loved by those around her even when objectively she gives them no reason to like her or spend time with her. Mm-hmm. So that's what you meant by kind of a relational ship. Right, a relationship. A, 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 a relational power fantasy, yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess I'm not familiar with those kind of characters as much as I do not read either fan fiction or Twilight. 
or really the teen romance genre as a whole? I have I have previously. It's been a long time, but I used to read a lot more. Sure. I think it's I, really really strange that I have a very very different perspective on this than, than I you I think guys. it's really interesting. Um I think primarily the place that it started coming up the most is when we were doing um OCT judging. Yeah. And we would have other judges bandying about that term. Oh, this this person's a Mary Sue, that person's a Mary Sue, and that's why I don't like them. Um, and, and often we'd kind of be like, we need to have a better term than this is a Mary Sue, because it's not descriptive enough to be right. helpful for feedback. But that's, I think, primarily where, the, there, where uh, the term has come up. And that's actually where I've seen it the most, was um, in, in, the, in the context of original character tournaments. I mean, Frost has a lot of characteristics of a Mary Sue, but I don't care, <laughs> because I don't think that defines a character. Fair enough. In the circles that it originally came from, it is primarily associated with fan fiction and it is more associated with female characters, although it certainly uh, can be male characters. Uh, anytime that, that that person is just a little bit too much there, especially if they're a main, not the main character, but a background character, who just comes out from behind and starts eclipsing everybody and not necessarily because they're so popular with the fans, but just because it seems like they're being written. So they steal the spotlight. Right. I, I would say that Sheldon from Big Bang Theory is an example of this. Hmm. Maybe Abed both... Nadir from Community. I think he became that yeah. progressively more and more, yeah. And both of those are examples where they are very popular with the fans. But in addition to that, there's just something where the writers just want to spend more and more time with that to the point where the original purpose of the series and the original premise of the series and these original character relationships go out of focus because of that emphasis. So now that we've kind of, our, our our most argumentative episode yet, I think, um, which is not <laughs> I, bad. I guess so. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's such a broad term, and it's it thrown is. around so so frequently, but so ill defined when it is thrown around that I think it makes sense that we'd all have completely different perspectives on what it even means. So, what was next on our list? People that we think are what was it, functional examples of people that have Mary Sue-ish tendencies? Yeah, characters that exhibit these uh, Mary Sue uh, uh, traits but are still acceptable or, you know, popular well, or good. We've already brought up Harry Dresden. Mm -hmm. um, I think Batman, James Bond, like a lot of these sort of superhero-esque characters that are just, can swoop in and seduce any woman, can fight any problem, can defeat any foe. James, I mean, it's a little harder with with some of those characters because a lot of them have been modernized to make it less easy for them to kind of swoop in with such ease. Um, but a lot of those characters in the, the original way that they were sort of played had that kind of aspect to them. Well, and the example that we brought up last time was uh, the Kingkiller Chronicles in Kvothe. Is that the name of the wind... Yeah, name of the name of the wind and a wise man and a yeah. wise man's fear. I I could not. I read the first book of that one and I could not keep reading it because the 
of of just whew. see and to me I like it because if you haven't read it, the narration, the, the it's a frame story where there is the story that is happening, quote, at the present time, where the innkeeper is telling a story to the chronicler about his life as this famous wizard. But as the framing device continues, you look at it and you go, well, he's telling this story wherein he's an amazing swordsman and a powerful wizard, but... We never really see him do any magic. Every fight he's in, he ends up kind of getting his ass kicked. And at the end of the second book, he really gets raffle stomped. So and, he's kind of an unreliable narrator? Or? Well, so we're looking at it going, we're going into the third book thinking, and th there are two camps. Well, there are lots of camps, but two of the camps are, one, he's full of crap. And he's been exaggerating it this whole time because he spends a lot of time talking about the nature of stories and the nature of myths. Or two, he was this, but because of the arrogance that came with the power, because of the arrogance that comes with being this Mary Sue, everything in his life turned to absolute crap. And he got hit with the parade of consequences. To the point where now he is really messed up. Like there's – this is the series that made me look up what proprioception was. Proprioception or proprioception, which is your body's innate sense of where your limbs are, which is why you can close your eyes and touch your nose. How many people just close their eyes and touch their nose? <laughs> I did it and I'm the one who knew what the word meant when we started. Um Oh, you guys probably knew what the word meant too. Um, no, no, but, no. Thank you. But for... there's because of because of all of the the things going on, and because one of the common oaths that wizards swears swears are, uh, you know, by my strong right hand. There is this theory among the fans that among the things that went so terribly wrong was that his power was broken, and with it, he broke an oath on his right hand. And so he lost all sense of proprioception. Hmm. Maybe it's just I couldn't enjoy or access the meta of it. It just it made me so frustrated at the narrator when I was reading it. And that's that, legit. That it for me it was a turnoff, but I know it's a very popular series, but one that actually for me the 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 Mary Sueness of it. I mean, I'll, I I can enjoy Mary Sunis in, in fiction or fan fiction, but for some reason, when, when it was in a widely published book that was highly acclaimed, it just I couldn't take it. I guess for me, it, that's a sign of someone who is not a developed writer, and I guess I could see it being done on purpose. In which case, I mean, bravo, man, because your shell game is high quality at that point because I completely missed it. Well, and I think. If it turns out that it, it was just completely 100% straight, then I'm just going to be laughing. Um, oh, no. <laughs> Trust me. When book three ever comes out, if the end of it is, and then I was lying and my magic Jesus, uh, you're going to be able to hear me screaming from a state over. 
Maybe I just I can't I've been I've been hurt too many times, Matt. I just can't take that chance anymore. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that it basically from, from what I'm hearing it boils down to it's okay if it doesn't purport itself to be a professional work. But the moment it does, you hold it to a different standard. Yeah, kind of. Um I guess I feel like there's no real I don't have a problem with Mary Sunis because I feel like it has a purpose and it has a place and I don't begrudge someone wanting to have a power fantasy. And in, in, even in some contexts where it's specifically the whole point is to have a power fantasy, like uh, superheroes, fine, you know, I have no problem with that. But when someone is saying, I am a, a work of great thoughtful fiction, then suddenly I have a harder time dealing with it being there. That's interesting. I've got a kind of a thought on that. Um, are superheroes always a power fantasy? Because I've been hearing that a lot lately, where it's like, well, you know, really, superheroes fall into that genre. Really, really, all that is about is kind of this wish fulfillment. Is that always the case? Are there superhero, uh, is there superhero fiction, be it comics, be it television, be it movies, where it's not about that fantasy element of putting yourself in those shoes? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I don't, like, I disagree with the idea that Batman is. Because fundamentally, I think there has to be an aspect of Mary Sue of a Mary Sue where their life is perfect, where even if they're shit on, they are morally pure at heart and they know that they will, I don't know, be rewarded in the afterlife or the Dalai Lama will give them high fives, whatever. But there is still this element of, oh, I wish I could be like them. And I don't think you can be over the age of 12 or 13 and really reading the serious Batman comics and go, yeah, I want to be that messed up recluse who takes 13-year-old acrobats and trains them to fight to the death. But it depends on the – it's harder with with us – any work that's been reiterated by many, many different writers. Yeah. Because, I mean, you were talking about how, okay, Angsty Sue has a horrible, tragic backstory. Check. Um, they, he's a millionaire. So check on that. Any, any difficulties on that one? Um, he inexplicably vigilante justice. Well, he's got Gordon on his side. Checkeroonie there. Um, like, there's a lot of things where it's sort of like in real life, there'd probably be a lot more consequences for you, Mister Batman. But here, nah. Well, I'm not necessarily Gotham saying. Gotham needs you. Free pass. Yeah, but is it necessarily a power fantasy? You know what I mean? Like, is that a well? Batman needs to be the most awesomest, and therefore I have to, you know... I mean, obviously, as a writer, you want him to get through, because that's the story you're telling. Mm-hmm. So that That's a whole other that's, can of worms. Uh, in general, unless you're writing a tragedy, is kind guess, of mostly par for the course. Well, and I, I guess maybe that's what got me about uh, Dark Knight Rises, is it's clearly a story about Batman losing, and then he wins anyway. But... Um, maybe maybe that's that's a whole other thing. If I was doing a Batman comic, I could do one where he just you know kind of straight up loses, and that'd be okay. Um, and they've done that in the past with like Bane and his original uh, uh, comic run. But um, my my point is is it does all that necessarily make it a power fantasy? Is it this like like what you're, well, all that stuff you're saying is true where he doesn't have any sort of consequences? But is are are you supposed to feel like man? I'm going to put myself in the Batman shoes. I'm going to go around in my awesome car, punch people, and specifically get a free pass from my mustache police captain friend. Like, is that a piece of the fantasy? 
your it's buddy a piece cop of the consequence you? free in, in, element. I know it kind of adds to that, but at the same time, it it seems too specific to be a power fantasy wish fulfillment that's kind of just designed to absolve the reader. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, maybe not specifically for that. I do think that there's uh, elements of power fantasy in Batman. Otherwise, there would be no logical reason for whenever I'm playing Arkham Asylum to just walk everywhere. Right. Because I am the goddamn Batman, and I will not be rushed. And you can wait for your beating. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Everywhere. Because there's there's that element of, of, of just... You want to feel like Batman. Why do you want to feel like Batman? Because Batman is a badass. Y- yes. That's the, the end. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, but... no, not at all. But there's spe- there's a lot of specificity to uh, the other stuff. I mean, like, oh, is it a power fantasy to have your parents killed when you're, like, eight? Is it no, a power I fantasy mean, to be... I was be... specifically talking angsty Sue stuff. Tragic backstory stuff. Y- yes. I'm not talking power fantasy stuff. No, no, yes and no. My, and and that's different. But I mean, like, say you're you're Batman. You're walking. You're a badass in 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 uh in Arkham, and uh you get a call from your butler. Like like, is that part of the fantasy? You have a a a father figure who's kind of an old British dude who like like there's just too much specificity for it to be like. And here you are, wish fulfilled to you. You know what I mean? Well, there's, I do there's have a be appeal That's beyond. an upside. There has to be appeal beyond that, is my no, point. No, I agree. And I'm not saying that all superheroes are power fantasies, or purely power fantasies. I think that, I mean, I think Batman has quite a few messages about about what is justice and not becoming, even if you skate that line, not becoming that which you fight. I think Spider-Man is actually part of the reason he's so popular, is he simultaneously manages to be kind of, he has the power fantasy element, but he also has that really strong, with great power comes great responsibility message. And then he's also, you know, the picked-on dude. And while it's kind of that power fantasy element that the picked-on nerdy kid that no one, you know, everyone makes fun of and yada yada, becomes this amazing Spider-Man that's got all the flippant jokes and is this wisecracker and is awesome. But, you know, they balance it out. He's not, you know, the Bugle's kind of got it in for him, that kind of thing. So, yes and no. I guess I'm... I'm I'm not entirely sure what I'm trying well, to say. Well, it was kind of a vague question. I just, I don't know. It, it, it seems to me like lately there's been this huge, at least in my personal uh, sphere, uh, this huge kind of push that, you know what, every superhero film, every superhero thing's the same, it's homogenous, and it's just a power fantasy. And I guess I'm, I've asked a leading question to try to refute that, because I don't think it's always true. I think Hollywood thinks that the only thing superheroes have to offer is a power fantasy. And I think that when it comes up, it's in a rejection to something that Hollywood has done to make it into a pure power fantasy. Like, missing the fact, I'll go, like, Superman does not kill. That's kind of his big one rule. And exploring that theme and what does that mean. And when you have ultimate power that's so extreme that you have the restraint as well. And then I think a lot of the reason that people... In not you know universally, but there was a big faction that was really pissed at the new Superman film because for some reason suddenly that rule's gone, and it's because it has to be dark and gritty and uh, adult, but it misses the what makes that superhero special or the human core of it in the first place. So I don't think I've got a problem with them exploring that. I might have a problem with what they chose. You know what I mean? It's, 
I don't have a problem with them exploring how difficult it is to, for him to make that choice not to kill, or what it is that made him uh, actively choose not to kill from that point on, but having him actively kill is in the film itself is still kind of, uh, I think, a misstep. But, Matt, save us. <laughs> well, I feel I just... like I'm just digging a hole so I can just get legions of hate mail. <laughs> just save <laughs> no, me I... from myself. No, no press is bad but... press. With any with, with any superhero, I think you summed it up right. With any superhero, we're talking about 70 years. Well, not with any superhero, 70 years. But with the big ones, we're talking about 70 years of stories. And so it's really easy to go deep into the minds and say, oh, well, you know, 60s Batman was totally a Mary Sue. Meanwhile, 80s Batman is totally an angst Sue. And now it's kind of evened out to being a normal character. And you can go out and you can pull traits from all of them that that support either side so i don't i think those genres specifically are really hard even harder than normal to come to a conclusion on as demonstrated by the the back and forth that we just had i was demonstration you were demonstrations so the question is i think ultimately how much does the designation of mary sue how much does it help us to to talk about it does it help us to be able to say oh i think this is a mary sue or is it ultimately too reductive to be useful i think it's I... a oh, go on robin no i've i've jibba jabbed go ahead <laughs> I, I i guess from my perspective um it's it's an interesting conversation piece I'm not sure how much we can boil down here into, like, I guess we could kind of take a stab at saying, hey, uh, here's pitfalls you can avoid in order to not make a character so Mary Sue-like, or if it is already, if there are some elements you want to uh, include, how to mitigate them or double down on them to make them not quite so horrible, how to be aware of them, maybe? Like, like I, I feel like that is the probably the most useful piece of this conversation. Otherwise, it's largely just a conversation piece where we just bandy about about whether or not a superhero counts. I ultimately find the term fairly useless. Um, I think it, in general, is the way that I've seen it most often used is a way to make people feel bad about their characters and their writing. I think that Mary Sue-type characters are a natural part of development as a writer. Um, and maybe that's why I find them, I do find them somewhat not as uh, professional in general when I see them show up, but they do still show up in popular fiction frequently. So who am I to say, oh, this is, you know, amateurish when I think that if you made your definition broad enough, you'd capture like 75% of every character ever written, especially in popular fiction. I think that they resonate with people and I just don't, I just don't see the point of being like, ah, this is a Mary Sue. It always seems to be used as a way to make someone feel superior to the character. It's it's like this unofficial, well, that's crap, so I can do better. Without any real justification for why. If you're saying, oh, well, I really think that this character doesn't really have motivations that are strong for why they do things. Or I don't think that there's a, a cause and effect relationship between what happens. Like those are those are actual useful, actionable pieces of feedback but and eh, that's a mary sue is so broad and so lazily applied that it has no purpose or point in a in a conversation to me about improving fiction see and to me it's a useful 
shorthand, but like all shorthands, it needs to be described in context and given a real, a better explanation. It's not enough to say, oh, this character is a Mary Sue. You have to say, this, I feel like this character is a Mary Sue because of X. And if you look through the TV tropes thing, you know, I was looking through the, the article on common Sue characteristics, and then I'm sitting there going, looking at Border and looking at two of my main characters and going, well, yeah, but I know why that's not true. And exactly. There's, that's, that's why it's – why spend all this time and energy being like, oh, is my character an Mary Sue or not? Oh, have I screwed this up? Have I ruined this? When the better questions to be asking are, does my character have uh, a, a, a decent distribution of flaws and merits? Is there a reason for why they take action? Do they have a motive? Are they like all of these are valid questions, but but spending time going, is this Mary Sue or not? Oh, I don't know. I don't such a broad definition could be anything. It just But at the same time, I think asking that is asking is this character a Mary Sue is a shorthand way of asking. Is this character does this character seem real? Does this character take up too much of the focus? Does this character seem to me to have realistic motivation? So I think I actually think it's more useful to ask internally, so long as you are, again, still willing to take the time to defer excuse me, define, not defern, the furnace can stay, <laughs> to define exactly what you mean by that. But I think it's it's more useful to look at internally than externally. I think if you're willing to be asking yourself these questions, the if you're so worried that you're saying, man, is my character a Mary Sue? You're already halfway there to not having a Mary Sue. I think that that right there is the key, self-awareness. If you're always uh, asking, how can I improve my character? You're on the right track. And uh, I think just... If you, if you want to have an outlet where you just write something out and you're like, I feel bad today, I'm just going to, here's, here's me stomping on Tokyo or whatever, that's fine. Um, but I think if you, yeah, if you were going to be taking your writing to that next level, a good thing to do is just, if, again, if you're asking these questions, you're already on the right track. So, I guess For me, in my experience, is whenever I asked myself, is this character Mary Sue, the answer was always yes. And it, I had to dig myself out of having to justify whether or not the character was or was not an arbitrarily defined, very vaguely defined term. And I could have been spending that time doing something that was actually legitimately useful. That's why I have such a strong reaction to it. You feel is like... That it, 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 it's a waste of your time to It's a complete that much. waste of time. It has always been, in my experience, a complete waste of time. Do you because find yourself... there's, like, tests and, like, there's that curiosity. Like I said, well, I guess I could run this through this, this Mary Sue meter and see if my character is Mary Sue or not. Well, inevitably, it's going to come back yes. The chances of it not coming back yes, I think, are pretty low in most cases. And well, I... But don't feel like the characters that I do are and in general I, I the thing I'm complimented the most on is how realistic and interesting my characters are but if you ran them through those Mary Sue tests they'd come out Mary Sue's every time well all right let's go to one very important thing you cannot use a goddamn test on the internet to decide if your character is anything 
how with a yeah. de- with a definition so broad, how else is anyone supposed to because define whether or not they are or not? You have how to they're come defined. up. You have to come up with your definition and run it through that and say, is this character too? For me, I have to look at a character and say, and there are other things like if you find your you naming your character. I do agree with TV tropes. If all of your char- main characters' names are like Sapphire McCool Awesomeness, run that through the filter and look at it. And, okay. <laughs> Take a look at it and say, is this a name that somebody's mother would name them or that more than one person's mother would name them? Because there's one person who will give any name in the world. But is this something I could actually see in my life or in this culture? No? Okay, then I need to fix it. Is this character taking too much screen time? But it requires you to come up with a definition and then apply it objectively. And I think the problem that people have is that they can't apply it objectively, either because they are not critical enough. Like, oh yeah, Sapphire McCool name Awesome Sauce. I, I totally knew someone named that in high school. Or I think in your case, Robin, because you are too critical about it, yeah, that you're not you're not applying it objectively, and it's hard, but it is useful if you can take a step back and say, okay, by this schema of what I believe is an unacceptable level of Mary Sueness, this character is fine, or even. Write out a rubric, give it to your editor or your proofreader or someone you trust, and say, not on your own opinion of what a Mary Sue is, but according to this grading plan, what what do you think of this character? I guess then why bother with the grading? Like, why, why bother with the name? Why not just skip to the grading plan? That sounds far more useful to me than... than because... Once you know your own internal schema, if you are capable of of looking at your characters objectively, you can skip the steps and you can say, is this character a Mary Sue? And since you know your own shorthand, you'll be able to go, uh, maybe a little, I'll fix it. So you're using it as a self-assigned shorthand term to cover just simply, is this a quality character? I think is it well is this a character who exhibits certain characteristics because absence of Mary Sue does not necessarily equal presence of good character but I think I the way I see this designation as being useful is yeah as an internal shorthand for I believe Mary Sue's are characters that exhibit these qualities in unacceptable amounts. Therefore, I ask myself, is this character a Mary Sue? I run through my grading rubric in my head and come out with my answer. So what's that grading rubric contain? Well, it, it's pretty much it's what I said at the beginning of the show. It's got some things that I named uh, the unacceptable focus, the unrealistic levels of training or skills for their background and unrealistic levels of consequence for the character, uh, for the universe. Am I, am I trying to put them into situations they don't belong in and other, just other things like the, the little things like how am I describing this character? Because I think one of the things that I've seen from fan fiction is 
if I'm spending a lot of time describing how cool this character's eyes and or hair is, and there's not a plot reason for that, and the plot reason isn't dumb, I need to change some stuff up. Hmm. I wonder if part of it is that I usually work in a visual medium where description of hair or eye color is not... I mean, that all comes out in character design, but... But, I mean, for you, then, it would be looking at the initial design of the character and, like, okay, are they noticeably different, prettier or specialer or more visually interesting than the other characters? And not just because I came up with a cool hook for them, but, gosh darn it, because I want them to be? I guess it's the the reason I had an immediate visceral dislike of... um What's his face in in, yeah, that's in really Mass specific. Mass Effect Three? Kyle where, where that was where I put the controller down and said, "Nope, I'm done with this game." And that For- was even before I heard about the debacle that was the ending of that series, because he was a sunglass wearing, trench coat wearing, bishonen with a laser katana in the future, and I immediately said, "Nope." Nope, that is... Oh, he speaks primarily in ellipses, too. Yeah, yeah. That is a walking cliche, and if he can be in this game that that typified to me well-developed, interesting characters that I can really, like, fall in love with, and he can appear in this game and, and I am legitimately supposed to be like, wow, this guy is cool, then there's, there, there's no good place that this, this game is going to be leading me. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess there is the, there is a sh- the uh, the equivalent for me in the visual medium. I I guess uh, the thing that surprised me is is just how much how worked up you get over this labeling system for for your characters. Like, well, you know, if there's a system, I I I need to know if my characters fit in the box or outside the box, and I guess. That kind of blows me away. Like I, I always figured that, that a Mary Sue thing was something that gets labeled or not labeled later. After well, you're I done. guess for me, it's I don't want to get blindsided if someone throws this at me. Uh-huh. I'm I'm always looking and waiting for someone to attack me for no reason because that's kind of what my upbringing instilled in me is a sense of complete and utter paranoia. That if someone someday decides that they want to just really go after my characters and and use this as a, a weapon, I want to know in advance so that I can defend myself, which I know is paranoid and ridiculous, but... I'll just have to use the, uh, the Wreck-It Ralph idiom. Good, bad, labels don't matter. <laughs> labels don't you matter. must love you for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure that out one day. I guess I, friend, I have to love my boy. characters for who they are. Okay, okay. Um, taking a look at Shades of Grey, your, your first webcomic project. Hans, was he a Mary Sue? Completely by the definitions. Although, I, by the test, no. Yeah, but I, I don't think he was Mary Sue at all yes. because he was Hans. You you know what I mean? He was so much himself. Yeah. That he, he wasn't he wasn't he had character. And and ultimately I think the big problem with any character that's kind of in this Mary Sue uh, box is that they are not characters. There's there's nothing to them. Well, I guess for me, what kinds of questions would because the, the having the idea of asking, is this a Mary Sue, you're trying to prove a negative. And I think maybe that's part of why I don't like the idea, is that you can't prove a negative. So I, I guess to me it seems like it would be a better 
a better list to have would be, do I positively have X, Y, and Z? Not do I negatively not have these things? Because you can not have all of the Mary Sue traits and it can be a bad character. Not not having Mary Sueisms does not guarantee solid characterization. Sure. No. I I think I think on this though we're what we're trying to do is avoid Mary Sueism, not how do you write good characters from the start? Though Well if you that, are that's... writing a good characters then you're not having Mary Sue problems. Yeah, so... you're, you're, you're right. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased on this issue. I got a hang up about it and I'm not exactly sure why. Card, I, horse. We'll I don't like first. the labels, man. I don't like them. <laughs> Didn't I just say that? Yes. <laughs> I don't like them. Yeah. I don't see the point of using them. Labels are useful only as far as we understand that they are a simple way of representing a complex system of ideas. And mm-hmm. When Mary Sue is reduced down to, oh, well, you have X, Y, Z, Mary Sue, then I think it's useless. And I think it's just one way of people on the – I agree with you that it's, an, it's another way of people on the internet attacking other people on the internet. But where Mary Sue is understood to mean these complex ideas of character importance and verisimilitude and characterization and progression, and we're willing to break it down and discuss it on those levels – i.e. when we're willing to not just have the conversation end at this is a Mary Sue, no it isn't, then it can be a useful tool. And mm-hmm. that, that conversation can happen internally to you before you start publishing your work and be a useful sent for argument that you've already made with yourself to help make sure you do have positive characterizations. And if it works for you, it works for you, and that's good. I'm not going to use it, but if it works for you, it works for you, and that's awesome. All right. <laughs> Are we still friends, Matt? Of course, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm, there is no way that the definition of Mary Sue is going to ruin a friendship that I have. <laughs> there are so many... Reason, better reasons to ruin friendships <laughs> in the long run that that wasting it on this. <laughs> I am keeping a tally. Thank you. This this uh, doesn't make it to the scoreboard. No, but there it, is a scoreboard. But there is a scoreboard, and you are now warned. No, it's there are always things that will cause friendships to break. No friendship is completely immune from the possibility of ending because we're people, and people hurt each other. Having different definitions of what <laughs> a Mary Sue is is not hurting one another. Oh, okay. Just making sure. All right. All right, Matt, what's inspiring you this week? <laughs> friendship. <laughs> friendship yeah. and the power Friendship of is magic and magic is heresy. Um <laughs> That's a different version than I <laughs> That's the, the Warhammer My Little Pony. Friendship is magic and magic is heresy. Oh, okay. That tracks. Um, well, like I, I, I think I said in what will undoubtedly be in the blooper reel, I'm, I'm sitting here this week having one of those weeks where I actually get to feel like I am a content creator, like I'm positively putting something meaningful out there. And so that's kind of it's it's a little bit narcissistic or 
masturbatory to say, I'm inspiring myself, but to an extent it's true. So I'll go with it. And sure. that I have taken steps this year that I put off for years trying to do because I was afraid because I didn't think I was good enough or ready yet or worthy. And this year I have said, I'm going to try it. And if it sucks and if I get nowhere, then at least once in my life, I've put it out there. And so this week I get to see, um, I submitted a story for the Bane fantasy adventure award and border Kansas launches and um, I'm a part of a very exciting upcoming Kickstarter that will <laughs> hopefully get funded. So my short story will be a part of that collection. So I'm inspired by the positive results that can come from being willing to put yourself out there. And congratulations, by the by. Thank you. Man, I was going to say I had no inspirations, but now I feel all fired up. So... Well, I'm inspired I'm, by Matt today. Yay, I'm glad to help. That's awesome, man. And that's, I think, one of the things that I, I've always, whenever people are like, oh, I'm not, I'm not good enough. And it's like, no, you're good enough to start right now. Whatever it is. And I, I need to keep that in mind myself right now because um, last, I've been trying to set aside one day a week to be Waveman Day was my thought. This is going to be my day for making Waveman things. And I made some of the final character designs, and they look good. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start pages. I'm going to start pages last Friday. And I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I got totally freaked out and totally worried because I think that it's really good writing. And I know it means a lot to Corey and I, and it just, I didn't want to screw it up. I got so freaked out at the idea that I was not good enough to begin it that I'd mess it up somehow at the very start and remembering just that starting it and doing it and, and, and taking that first step, no matter what you do, you're going to look back on it and go, man, you know, I can do better now, but that's the whole point is that you look back on it and you know that you can do better now because you've been doing the work you learn by doing and that the project will still have its merits and be great and and awesome and progressively better because it exists. So it's been kind of an interesting week. And yeah, I, I definitely hope that people look at the things that we're doing and the, the risks that we're taking, which are really not that great. I mean, Robin took the biggest risk of anyone I know for it in that you went to a much more fulfilling job that let you do this more. But I think if I could teach, if, if I could say to somebody who was in the same position that I was a year ago, I would say, it feels like you're taking a big step to get a website and to put some stuff out there. But really, you can take it down. You can disavow it later. Write it off as a youthful indiscretion, even if you're on parole. Um, it's okay. It's not as big a deal as you are making it out to be. Well, I think every every step looks every next step is big because you've never taken it before. Right. And it's 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 good to keep that in mind. 
but also to kind of look back and realize that it's it's like what you've done before. Any any sort of thing that you've built before, um, if you if you've gone to school and you know a project seems insurmountable, or or you've done some sort of sports accomplishment and, and running that extra mile, swimming that extra lap seemed insurmountable. Eventually, you got there, and when you look back, it seems so small. It's the same idea. So, what well, I th- and I think my dad said it on my Facebook today. In that. He works at a bookstore, and he's worked at a bookstore for years, so he's gotten to talk to a lot of authors. All of them talk about how hard it is to push the ball up, to push the boulder up the hill, but that you'll never get the boulder up the hill if you don't start pushing. Yes. Yeah. Or I remember once thinking about, about that metaphor specifically and thinking about how it takes so much effort and time, and it's so difficult to push a massive stone. If you if you if you want to create a movement, and and you want to create this avalanche down the hill of of, of success, that it's so hard to move a massive rock. But it's not all that much effort to throw a few pebbles, a lot, because eventually most you know most of those pebbles are going to do effectively nothing. But eventually, one or two of those pebbles might strike a larger stone, and that stone starts rolling. And before you know it, you have your avalanche. But it required so much less effort overall because you were doing little things and maybe getting better at throwing stones that had a cumulative effect. Anyways, that's my thought on metaphors. Fair enough. This week I'm not gonna cop out. I wasn't inspired by you, Matt. Sorry. That's okay. I'm I'm happy to not a cop out. (laughs) I'm happy to have just inspired one person. One person. Oh, okay. I'm I'm not saying what you did isn't inspiring. Because it totally is. He's your best friend. He has to give. And it's awesome. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) No, I'm just uh, uh. Oh, jeez. I don't really have anything else though. (laughs) We kind of. We kind of. I guess this weekend we kind of took off, but that's a good thing because we've been burning the candle at both ends for for quite some time now, and I think it's really, really important to remember that uh, sometimes you need to rest, and you need to have that grace to give yourself rest, and uh, sometimes it's it's really, really difficult to kind of keep that in mind. Sometimes you feel like, man, I haven't done anything today, but but it's okay to kind of take a moment take a deep breath and recharge your battery so that tomorrow or the next day or whenever you get back to it, you're, you're good to go. So I guess this week I'm inspired by taking a moment for yourself and, uh, and being all right with having that, having that grace to, to relax. Yeah. I Yeah. That's absolutely essential that take, take the time once in a while to just do whatever you do to recharge, whether it's go camping or play a video game or, uh, you know, swing cats around while listening to metal music. Whatever you need to do that's legal and doesn't hurt too many cats. It doesn't hurt cats, yes. Too, yeah. too many. Too many is an important... Uh, some cats just deserve it. That's all I'm saying. And <laughs> oh, now I will Apparently you're the, a dog fan. Now I will get the avalanche of hate mail. I just wanted to take some off of Robin. Oh, that that's that was kind of you, Matt. Very kind. Um, but absolutely, take time to recharge because it it does affect your writing. It like we've talked about before, you have to get into an emotional space where you can do it. So if all your if you're tired, even if you're writing, you will probably be writing tiredly. All right, I think head to head is Robin and myself this week. So. so 
my thought was that this week's is two people reminiscing about previous times, except that they're actually reminiscing about different events and don't realize it. As before, if you'd like to try your hand at writing your response to the spontaneous prompt, feel free to pause the recording right now, give yourself 10 minutes on the clock, and write the best opening sequence you can. We'd love to read your responses, so feel free to email them to info at mocopress.com, and we'll share the ones that we get on the air. You can also go to the Moco Press website, click on the page for this podcast, and post your responses in the comments below. Thanks so much, and we look forward to seeing your solution to this opening scene. All right. Since Matt and I are, uh, our high school reunion is rapidly approaching at the end of the month, this is inspired by that. May this not happen to either of us. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hey, Jack Doggett said awkwardly. His whiskey was mostly water now. Clearly, it had taken him some time to work up the nerve to approach the confetti-strewn table. Hey, back. Ashley Warren gave a tense smile. The lights dancing off the disco ball and the dulcet tones of Depeche Mode did little to soothe the gracelessness of this moment. Uh, how long has it been? Jack pressed on, relying more on desperation than booze to carry him forward. She cocked an eyebrow. Well, according to the sign outside, ten years. <laughs> right. Jack inside his head was slamming it against the table. Look, I, I don't know how else to say this. It's like I'm in some sort of lame rom-com. Look, you were the best I ever had. Prom night was amazing. Everyone told me it would get better, and I would meet someone, someone else, someone I could really connect with, but I never did. It's you. It's always been you. Just... Look, I know you probably don't feel the same, but no matter what, I just wanted you to know. I never stopped loving you, Ashley. Jack's heart was in his throat now, and he steadied her face desperately, praying for any sign that she felt the same. Well, I did meet someone. I fell in love. At least, I thought it was love. Four years and two children later, I knew it w I knew different. You're totally right. I never did. It never did get better than prom night. Better than you. I wish things had turned out differently, and I, I guess they still can. I love you, Brian. I always have. Maybe we could start again? Brian? A moment ago, Jack had felt weightless. A careful listener might have been able to pick out the high-pitched whine as helium escaped from a hole in his heart. Who is Brian? Aren't you Ashley Summers? No. Ashley Warren. Her dreams of mixed family were quickly being replaced by dreams of mixed alcohol. The two <laughs> of them hung silently in the moment, suddenly feeling both very sober and very foolish. Not 20 feet away on the registration table near the entrance of the high school gymnasium lay two unclaimed name tags. That's heartbreaking. I know, right? That was... Actually, I, I liked it. I thought it was funny in a little kind of dark way. <laughs> pathetic. I, it was pathetic, but that's okay. All right. Here we go. What I'll never forget is her earrings. John nearly choked on her iced tea as she burst out laughing. Oh, I know, they were massive. She was so proud of them, Karen giggled. Oh, please, let's not forget. She was proud of the whole ensemble. Joanne drew out the last word in a nasal twang, sticking her nose in the air as she mimed a prissy shoulder-swaying sachet. At least until she took it on the dance floor, Karen drawled. Oh, I know, what a complete disaster. Don't forget the dogs. Hmm. There were a lot of collars and loose leashes, that's for sure. Not to mention red faces. 
Especially after the whipped cream got everywhere. Blech, I hate that tradition. Eh, I can see the appeal. Trust exercises and all that. I know, but half the time the bride or the groom mashes the cake into the face of their oh-so-beloved. Doesn't that send a mixed message? Wait, what bride? What are you talking about? Sam and Jean's wedding. The waiter arrived with their meals, and for a moment the only sound was the clatter of cutlery. As Karen rooted out croutons from her salad, she glanced at Joanne across from her with a raised brow. What were you talking about? Oh, the wedding. Naturally, her friend replied breezily, spearing a bit of asparagus on her fork. Naturally, Karen replied. That's it. That's all I got. Oh, wow. That leaves a lot to the imagination, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But not in a bad way. <laughs> I guess. Like, how do you lose track of which friends you took to whatever that was? Yeah. <laughs> uh, copious amounts of, of alcohol. I guess yeah, so. Which are usually present in all kinds of events, such as weddings. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking. That's pretty good. I like that. I was thinking it was hacky. Nothing to be ashamed of. Is what I, that I did was. improve it at least a little bit from where it started, but it was a pretty rough start. <laughs> there was no wedding. That's where you started. I, just, I couldn't fi- I I just started writing and I couldn't figure out exactly where I was going. I had to figure out a location. Yeah. And I need I needed to figure out exactly when the whole thing went horribly off the rails. That was the hardest part. I think I thought it was pretty good. I thought you were really close. I, I I thought that was perfect right where you did it. Yeah, no, it was there it, there's definitely this aspect of how drunk are you that you're <laughs> missing what went where with who? But at the same time it was funny and I liked it, especially that as things went increasingly off the rails and the one the a couple of the phrases that make sense for both the yeah there were the the uh the dogs thing which obviously <laughs> meant very different things to very different very different people could be i don't know <laughs> i guess uh for for mine the diff- this was a tough challenge i i thought this was a pretty pretty uh uh challenging prompt you gave us but in it definitely in a good way uh See, f- for me i, I wanted I was... something a little bit different in in, sure. in structure and how we were challenging one another mm-hmm. and and i appreciate it for, for me uh the difficulty was trying to not overcomplicate things yeah because uh my first instinct was to have the other couple uh the the, the people they were talking about there together and happily married Oh, but, okay. Which would have worked, but that's such a longer scene. Yeah. That that I actually uh, uh, this was was partly a uh, an example of how I would pre-edit myself, where I needed to to really kind of choose wisely what I was going to write, what I had time to write. Yeah, the the leaving something behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to, I had to censor myself on this one, and that's that's a good thing. That's a that's a skill. Yeah, All right, good. so our takeaways on uh, Marasus. I guess from my perspective, I guess my takeaway from this is just that I have such a different perspective than you guys on what a Marisu is and how it's applied. That the idea is as long as you're being self-aware as a writer, as long as you're always trying to improve, as long as you're willing to question yourself, you will probably not have much trouble with a Marisu. And for me, the takeaway that I would say is 
and we're going to do a whole episode at some point on giving and receiving constructive criticism. Mm. But my takeaway would be remember that when you are using these terms, these throwaway terms that we like to put out there, that they mean so many different things to so many different people. And so if you are critiquing someone and you say that something is a Mary Sue or something is any of the other little internet shorthands that we have in the fiction world on the internet, that you need to be more precise than that, that that's meaningless unless you define the context that it exists in. Because as we saw tonight, I, it, I would take that as a very different thing than Robin or Corey would. I think because the internet doesn't have the the personal communication, the body language, the tone, that if you're trying to be helpful, you need to do more than just use the term of art. You need to unpack it. Use it as a reference point, but then describe and provide what you mean by it, or you're not helping. And if you're if you're doing it not to help but to troll, then screw off. <laughs> I learned that I have a very strong reaction to this term and that that might merit some self-reflection and investigation. Fair enough. Because that's sort of a unusually strong knee-jerk reaction that I had tonight. So usually when you have a knee-jerk reaction to something, there's a cause for it. And that's always worth learning about. The no, you, more you know thyself, the more you can write well. Ash, well, I never. <laughs> it's always good to check in, you know. It's always good to check in, and it, least, you, uh, when you have strong reactions to something, sometimes you're going to find something that's um, really useful to know about. So I think that's probably what I'm going to do. Awesome. All right. I think we can take this one away. Uh, Matt, where can we find more of your awesome work? You can find more of my work of all quality at the <laughs> newly launched Border Kansas, www.border-ks.com. And you can find more of Corey and I's work at mocopress.com. You can find my comic at leylinescomic.com. And speaking of leylines, I had, but I would be remiss in my duties as a person that I'm supposed to be promoting my own work with if I did not mention that we are running a Kickstarter to get Volume 3 printed, and we would very much appreciate your help in that regard. So if you would, are interested in purchasing a book, or rather pre-ordering a book, please go to leylinescomic.com and there will be a link to the Kickstarter. Or probably a link also in the notes of the show below. There are some really cool uh, rewards that are coming out if you back the Kickstarter, including... Uh, short stories written by internet visionaries and also me. <laughs> I'm actually I'm really excited by the uh, the stretch goal idea that we had this time. Um, almost every reward level comes with what we're calling Dream Eaters. Totally true, I swear, trickster tales. And the idea is that it will collect a whole bunch of different writers, artists, illustrators. Um, work and they will all be little variations that are related to Leyline's world but are kind of these cool different exciting stories um, told from very different perspectives and the more stretch goals we reach the more authors and illustrators get added to that PDF creation so it's sort of an opportunity to kind of enhance the book and enhance the extra goodies that come with it alright thank you so much and uh 
Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Music for this episode was created by Reasoner. You can find more of his work at reasoner.newgrounds.com.